What's up, everybody? Welcome to Leaders of Lifestyle, a podcast all about real estate, sports, and entertainment. Take a deep dive with me into the world of high-end lifestyle and get exposed to the different leaders behind the scenes of it all. So let's get right into it. We have an amazing, amazing guest, Ace Watana Supar. Um, so I'm going to call you Ace the rest of the time. So, so, so for people who are going to listen to this and watch this, yeah. I have to read this about you because the story is amazing of you. Um, so, so let me just break this down. A true entrepreneur who will talk today about his conquering real estate, finance, and the restaurant industry, successful real estate investor, owner of nine successful franchises like Spot, Dessert, and Obayo, uh, just to name a couple. Now he's opening up a new restaurant concept called, uh, how do you say it, Ace? Guy, chick, guy yeah. Chicken. Guy yep. Chicken. And, and there's going to be a lot of people who actually know that because it's big. It's going to be a franchise. Uh, with 50 locations across the United States, including a new ice cream restaurant called Scoop. Um, and also, <laughs> he's also developing a new development, uh, 52 units. You're breaking ground in, right, as well? Correct. Okay, so that's all the fun. That's all the fun stuff. But currently, Ace serves as the senior vice president, and national director of strategic sales at Citizens Bank. And prior to that, you took on the role as president of Douglas Elliman's lending arm, from, formerly known as DE Capital. Yep. Holy cow! <laughs> so people don't understand the hustle and the entrepreneurship and what you've been able to create for yourself in a relatively short amount of time. And we've had a conversation before this show before, and our stories resonate a lot. You're from New York. I'm from New York. You're an athlete. I'm an athlete. We both went to college in Connecticut. Um, we both opened restaurants. One of us was successful in that venture. <laughs> One of us wasn't. Um, as far as being an athlete and going to college in Connecticut, I went to Southern Connecticut. You went to UConn. I was a swimmer. You were a basketball player, but actually um, more than that, right? So you were the first Asian American to play. At UConn, played for Coach Calhoun, first Asian American walk-on, and uh, played with alongside Karam Butler, Ben Gordon, Amek Okafor. I mean, those are sometimes, Mike, some, uh, some great memories. Okay. So you're a successful real estate investor, successful real estate developer, successful, real estate, uh, successful uh, restaurant entrepreneur athlete you walk on to UConn uh and I see some clips you you played <laughs> you played and you played with some of the best of the best the all-stars mm -hmm. of the NBA there's so much there I think it's important for people to understand you were not born with a, a you know the golden spoon in your mouth right you had to work yeah. for everything and I think there's something to be said you had to be you know, kind of molded into that hustle. So I have to kind of break down the story a little bit before we can get into your expertise now in the real estate and finance world and kind of talk about today's climate and how you advise clients going forward. For sure, Mike. Again, thank you so much for all the accolades. But, you know, all of that was really just the end result, right? But um, I can tell you it, it wasn't success after success after success. If anything, it was actually failures after failures after failures, right? Um, people only see what, what's going on now. And, and, and even now, you know, there's concepts that are failing constantly, right? Um, and people only talk about either the good or the bad. So what I can tell you, Mike, you know, again, you know, I grew up from humble beginnings, uh, immigrant family, my mom and dad, 
are from Taiwan and Thailand. They immigrated here, worked three jobs each, really didn't grow up uh, with a, with a um, strong foundation, but they did teach me one thing being in this country, which is if you work hard and you put your head down, um, then things can really um, happen for you. Opportunities can actually resonate, right? So um, that's what I did. I put my head down. I worked really hard. And one of the things that I would tell everyone that's listening to this podcast is surround yourself with, with a good support system, right? Um, at an early age, my parents used to always support me no matter what crazy dream I had. But really growing up in my career and really going back to my UConn days in college, playing for Coach Calhoun, I mean, that was something else, right? That's, that's Bobby Knight on steroids. Like he is in your face. He's holding you accountable. And he taught the, uh, the importance of teamwork and what it means to be about team and not I, right? You can't do it alone. You know, the next person, the next player next to you, from, from the first player to the 13th man on the roster, um, you got to play as a team and you got to support one another. And, and I've been blessed and grateful enough to have mentors in my life at every stage of my career. And if it wasn't that, then I try to at least, you know, surround myself with people that, that truly sort of shared the same vision, but more importantly, was there to really pick you up when, when you were down, right? So. It's incredible, man. And I can totally resonate with that. I know there's a lot of people who came from the athletic background and this yeah. is a sports entertainment, real estate show. And it's amazing how many of these, uh, these niches you actually fit into. You resonate with athletes. You know, you resonate with real estate investors. You're in the finance game today. Um, yeah. You know, me being in real estate and sales, I came from that swimming competitive collegiate background, a national right. background where it's this hard work, dedication, training. And it's the same way, you know, for someone like you. But I think that you going from the walk-on on the basketball team at UConn, being the first Asian American to ever do that, um, was just, I mean, that was like the first, one of the first steps, right? And then, and then you went into real estate investing. Was that, was that the next thing after that? I mean, walking on to UConn was that first sort of aha moment where so many people thought I was crazy, right? For even thinking about walking on. Right. I didn't walk on the first time I tried out. I tried out my freshman, sophomore year. It got cut, got cut and made it my junior year. Yeah. So it's not that one day wanted to try out and made it my first try, right? Yeah. So I stayed at school over the summer, practiced with the guys and, you know, thank the Lord, um, I walked on my junior year. But that was the first aha moment that made me realize, you know what, anything is possible, right? If a 5'9 um, can walk on to a men's basketball and, and at that time we just won the championship, then, you know, my, my perspective on life, everything changed at that moment. And it just gave me the confidence to dream big, think big, you know, and, and have to thank coach for seeing, you know, that, um, that in me, right. Giving this, you know, kid from Queens a shot at playing for one of the number one collegiate programs in the country. And it really started from there, Mike. And then from there after college, you know, I, I really, um, really had the opportunity to take the things that I learned, um, while I was on the team and incorporate it into my everyday life. It wasn't easy, right. Um, I moved back to New York, didn't really have a job lined up. And, you know, I interviewed with Citigroup and it was a sales position. And at the time I was really conservative. My parents wanted me to work at a hedge fund company, a nine to five, you know, something that was a base salary. But here I was, you know, um, you know, an opportunity to become a loan officer at the time because I loved real estate. So I went to my dad and I asked him, Hey dad, you know, I want to, I want to own real estate. 
And he told me, well, son, if you want to own real estate, you better understand the finances behind owning real estate. And at first I thought, you know, what is this? Some pyramid scheme, you know, commission base, you yeah. know, no nine to five base salary. I'm like, how am I even going to afford lunch? You know, but you know what, what that taught me was an ability to not have a limit, yeah. right? There was no, and when you're a commission based salesperson like yourself, Mike, in the, in the real estate um, world and in, in game, you know, there is no, you eat what you kill and you have to go out there and hunt. And that taught me that, you know, there's no, there's no time. So I really spent my first three to four years, you know, 7 a.m. to like 2 a.m. every single day at the office, you know, but, uh, but it took a lot of discipline, a lot of accountability and really um, a lot of eating dirt, you know, knocking door to door, building up your name, your reputation, your brand, you know, walking around with your business cards everywhere you went, whether it was a supermarket, the pizza store, I would tell people what I do. You know, and uh, it took time, but it just slowly, if you just stick with it, you know, just, you just build sort of a network and you, and you continue to just continue to, to, to push and move on. So did you, did you do, so you invested in real estate in New York with the money that you made starting off in your um, career in finance and, and lending? Is that how it started? Yeah. So, you know, my, my parents always taught me, son, if you, if you leave your money in the bank, then the only way that it's going to go, it's, it's going to go down. That's right. So you're only going to, you're only going to start, start tapping into the money that you yep. save. Right. So yep. as in real estate at a very young age, you know, the first, I believe the first $20,000 um, that I saved up, you know, right out of college, second year out of college, he made me buy my first condo. Um, so we went out, we looked at a condo together. We bought a $150,000 condo, you know, put literally 10% down and that was my first investment. And it, you know, I fell in love with real estate and I just started investing in real estate slowly. And everybody always starts and they, they look at these home prices of a million dollars and $2 million and they get intimidated. And, you know, I tell everyone all the time, you don't have to start big, you know, you start at your own comfort level, but you take baby steps, right? But the key is to start. Yes. And I think you know, I was, I was, you know, lucky enough to start at a very young age at the age of 20, 20, 25 and it just started accumulating properties ever since then so so then you went on you 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 grew to be an expert in that field an investor in that field um and you know we talked about it so and i'm jealous as all hell your your restaurants and and everything uh, i read up on that i think people probably clamoring to know like how that how did all these franchises you just knock them all out of the park it's not necessarily the case you got to fail a little yeah. bit. And I'm sure there was a failure. So you got to tell the story of, of how that worked. Yeah. So, I mean, look, the coming about of opening up restaurants came in 2009 and it was really at the height of my um, banking career doing well. My cousin would tap me on the shoulder and, and he would invite me to do a venture with him, open up restaurants. And I never really took, took his offer, right? Because I was striving within the, um, the finance world. Mm -hmm. One day, you know, a fellow mentor at a bank that I was working with um, got let go on Thanksgiving. And he had worked at the bank for about 25 years. He was part of like the billionaire circle, platinum circle. And he mentored me for a whole year. And here I am at the age of, you know, 27 um, at the time, young, aggressive, you know, I was really coming into my own in the banking world. And that bank you know, the person that hired me told me that they were letting him go and that I would be replacing him. 
And I just felt, you know, after 25 years and, you know, he was, I still remember his name today. He wasn't young, right? He was in his 60s, like close to 62, 63. They told him to stay until January. They had to let him go early. And it made me realize, fast forward, that, hey, that could be me 25 years on the line. I could give my heart and sweat and equity to a company and not really control my own destiny, right? So when my cousin tapped me on the shoulder twice, three times, I always said, no, 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 because I was striving within my career. It made me think twice. And then I was open to the idea with my cousin. And in 2009, you know, we rolled the dice and we we're like, you know what? I'm going to be working at the bank full time. I'll work on the finance part. You're more the operator. And we made a deal. We shook hands and we opened up Obao and Spot in 2009 in November. Um, so I still remember bank. I ran to the store uh, to Spot and he ran to Obao and um, how the story started. And, you know, 10 years later in 2019, we have about, you know, 10 to 12 restaurants, a couple of concepts. But in between those years, there were some hard times. There were some decisions where we were going to close down spot after just a year going into this, into the, um, the venture, right? Because we were redlining. We were making 300 bucks a month. I would be compensating it for the restaurants because we were losing around 20 to 25,000 a month yep. in revenue yep. between both. Because, you know, they, and they all say in the restaurant, the first three years are the most crucial and about 85% of most restaurateurs fail. Right. In the first three years, right. all the money that I was making um, at the bank, I was putting towards the business ventures with the restaurant. But the one one saving grace was that I was living at home, and I was saving on rent right at the time. So not only was I hustling at the bank, we also opened up our own restaurants. But I was able to save so much money from not paying rent or not having additional expenses that I was able to utilize all the money that I was making from the bank and put it towards the restaurant. Right. So that three to four years since get me now with all the struggle within those three to four years where we were making no money. Everything was just basically, you know, putting in sweat equity for ourselves yeah. and having a vision one day actually open up and scale. So, and, and being in that world and knowing how hard it is and having a, a restaurant of my own and having to buy out one of the owners and then having to reopen it under a new name and then having to, and even now, even with, with dealing with COVID and having to have it shut down and, and oh, it's, it's a lot, man. And so congratulations on all that success, dude, because I, I know how hard it is. I had a question for you learning about the story. Yeah. I, something I think about, I, I love real estate. I'm, a, I'm passionate, obsessed with, with uh, high-end real estate and ha- helping clientele and investing in real estate. You having these different ventures uh, with with your real estate and then your finance and then your professional career. And then also to the restaurant, do you, do you have the passion for, for the restaurant business as you do uh, with, with your actual like, finance and lending career or is it one more than the other? Or how do you feel about like, how does that work for you? Uh, that's a great question, Mike. I mean, real estate is my passion. Finance is my passion. It's what I love. I love talking about, lending, you know, uh, whether it be retail, whether it be commercial, that's, you know, I live, you know, sleep and breathe. But with that, you know, I do believe that there's a passion in me that wants to build, build something with great people. And, you know, a long time ago, it used to be about me, 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 me. Now it's really about seeing people within my own company in the restaurants grow 
and building something for them to have a career. And I think the passion comes from really seeing other people grow and prosper. And I just felt, you know, in my position today, there's just so much that we should always think about, you know, paying it forward, right? And today, the reason why I'm so passionate about the restaurants, yes, do I love food? Yes, am I a foodie? I love eating. I'm a, I'm a skinny fat boy. You know, I may look I mean, I can out eat. Listen, man, I, I see, I see some of the workout videos you post. You, you get it in. You work out. You work out. To I work out. Try to get it out. No, you know. Don't let this. You know, I, I can eat, Mike. So I love eating, but <laughs> more, more than eating, I love, I love building. Right? I love building with good people. Right. And I think once, once folks start thinking about us, we, and not me, 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 right. it becomes a more meaningful um, sort of uh, goal and 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 just purpose in life, right? And, and now it's really about, you know, coming together, getting different ideas from other folks and really getting better. You know, there's a, there's a lot of things that you learn from, from opening up your own business because there are no guardrails, right. right? When I work at the Citizens Bank or Citibank or Bank of America, there's a blueprint already somewhat that you follow in, in corporate, right? Yeah. Um, but when you open up your own business, there are no there, there are no um, guidelines. You, you're creating your own manuals and your own guidelines. So that's, that's something that's um, been interesting. Um, it's something that's really helped me learn to become a better leader because you're listening to other people's ideas and it doesn't really matter the rank. Um, you know, we listen to ideas from everybody to the manager, to even the buster and the porter, right? They're there at the restaurant. Yeah. We value everyone's opinion. It's no, there's no rankings. Well, listen, man, again, congratulations for doing it at the highest level and knowing how hard that business is. Uh, again, it's just another feather in the cap, man, of how hard you work and how much you're willing to overcome. You did it in basketball, started small in the real estate, doing it in the restaurant. Um, now let's get in a little bit of the professional career. The, I mean, the stuff that we're yeah. in. Um one of, the, one of the big things, man, I read about you, I mean, you're a networker. That's really like, I mean, we all are, right? To, to some extent. Yeah. You know, I, I mean, you have to. Um, so you're, you have taken a bunch of different roles in your career um, and some really high-level prestigious roles. The current one that you are in, talk, talk to everybody a minute about specifically that role, what you do day-to-day, -day, and kind of what kind of sets you apart from everybody else? Right now, I'm the National Director of Strategic Sales for Citizens Bank. Um, what does that mean, right? The title seems like there's, there's a lot of mumbo jumbo in there, but it's really about strategy, sitting down with our sales folks, sitting down with our, whether it be capital markets, whether it be technology, whether it be marketing, and really figure out ways where the company can stands out from the rest of the competition, right? And, and where I sit, it's all about partnerships. You know, can we build a better partnership with our wealth partners? Can we build a better partnership with our bank branch retail partners? So a lot of it has to do with understanding the mindset of our sales folks and really figure out how do we actually create a competitive advantage, but more importantly, create a value proposition for our team members, right? I think that's what separates every company um, from other 
competitors and other companies, which is the people inside the organization. So what I mean by that is from the top down, it's a collaborative culture. You can't fit a, 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 a circle in a square peg box. And I think we have to be open-minded. We have to be able to evolve and people have to have a say, they have to have a seat at the table. So in my, in my position, you know, I'm all ears, right? My ears are close to the ground. I'm listening to my leaders. And I think that's, that's the key there, being able to pivot when we need to in business. And I think the biggest thing, you know, with Citizens Bank now, you know, we don't have any bank presence in certain areas such as New York or Maryland's or the North Carolinas. So what do we do to create that, that funnel of business coming in? Uh, we have to build relationships, to your point, network with real estate brokerage companies and create those alliances, right? So strategy and um, really um, getting to know, you know, what is important for a realtor. You know, what are some of the things that you want to really instill in your, in your sales team, right? Accountability, transparency, communication, level setting of expectations, all of that is is practiced and preached every single day with our sales team. So, so turning that and, and kind of focusing a little bit into the sports entertainment real estate world, right? You have worked a lot with athletes per se or high net worth individuals. And in today's climate, we don't know what's going on right now with, um, with everything. Um, <laughs> I, you know, you hear, you hear whoever's going to be elected. If it's Biden, you know, taxes go up six to 60%. Um, you know, I, I've been getting people, uh, a lot of my clientele, sports athletes, also international buyers are like, well, you know, we're not traveling from Hong Kong. If I'm going to get taxed 60%, you know, it, they're not going to set up residence there. How are you advising clientele? How are you advising the athletes, the high net worth clients as to how to navigate what's coming? Um, or where we are, where you see the future of, of lending and mortgages? Because it's been crazy. How are you seeing it going forward? Yeah. Um, I mean, we're, we're experiencing that today, Mike. You know, that's another great question that you, that you posed there. And um, I can tell you this. With financing, with rates below 3%, we're talking about free money that the banks are giving out. Right. right. And with the mass exodus of me, such as New York City, L.A., you know, maybe some parts of the urban areas in San Francisco where right. people are mass exiting the major and going towards the suburbs. And now you see amazing bidding wars in places like Connecticut, places like New Jersey, yeah. places like Westchester. Right. Locally, I can tell you there's. A, um, whenever there's a crisis and the pandemic has been a huge crisis, not only for the United States, but all over, all over the world, it's been a global pandemic, right? right. There's opportunity in there and out there that are constantly traveling, um, for the Uber wealthy clients out there that's constantly looking for opportunities. Well, this is the opportunity. If you were on the sidelines the past five to six years and you were looking to buy real estate in New York city, there's no better time than to jump in now with all the concessions, all of the discounts, 20 to 30% discounts. You know, I try to educate a lot of the um, NBA players because that's who I really work with is look at the numbers, right? Whether it be investment opportunities, you know, single family all the way up to 
a 10 to 11 unit family, work out the numbers on the interest rate and your payments, try to leverage financing and see if there's, um, there's some opportunities that you can kind of, you know, finally go into and really, really um, take advantage of the marketplace. You know, someone once told me, and, and Warren Buffett says this all the time, right? When there's a fire and everybody's running away, that's when you jump in, right? And in the stock market, when you have that gut-wrenching feeling within, within, within the stock market and your portfolio is down probably 60, 70, 80%, that's probably the best time to buy. So the advice that I would say for all of our athletes and all of our high net worth clients would be try to look at opportunity when when there seems like there's no opportunity, right? And right now in the real estate market, I've been I've been really bullish and I've been telling folks that the time within the next 12 to 24 months will be the time that if you don't buy something today, you're gonna be looking back and kicking yourself in the behind 10 yeah. years. Man, not only were prices cheap, but interest rates were low. And you know, that's that's yeah. that's a Probably a recipe for, for success right there. Now, you, you're talking about specifically in the New York market, right? So because like if you come up to Connecticut right now, I mean, uh, we're booming. We're, we're, it's insane. Uh -oh. And, and, and uh -oh. we're up, you know, 30%. You know, we're setting records by multiple millions of dollars um, on properties and, and every commercial. I mean, I have commercial buildings that I own that I have for sale and also commercial buildings that I'm, I'm also selling as, and also residential. So the people who are like, well, I would go to, to buy something, but am I buying at a really high rate, uh, overpriced right now? Or are you talking more about New York specifically with the exodus and with some of the discounts going on because of the businesses that had to leave and maybe somebody looking at a commercial space saying, look, I'm going to rezone that. I'm going to put a, I'm going to make that multi, I'm going to make that residential. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, are you talking about New York? So, so there's, there's, there's two folds to this story, right? New York city in particular there's amazing opportunities there. But places in Connecticut, there's a regentrification now because so many people are moving back to Connecticut, right? right. Now there's gonna be communities and young families there. Right. So the opportunities of appreciation in those neighborhoods are just gonna to continue to appreciate and appreciate and appreciate. So everybody is sort of benefiting from this pandemic, but the ones that are not benefiting are the ones that are sitting on the sidelines looking at it and saying, oh my goodness, you know, this real estate market, it's crashing, it's burning, right? And, you know, all you're hearing is the news with, you know, the, the government and the right. presidential and right. COVID. So if you're on the sidelines, and that's really what I want our audience to, to really resonate and take away with, right? Which is a lot of times people will follow the wave. And right now people may be buying, people may be on the sidelines, but you want to really look at opportunities now in Greenwich in Connecticut, for example, I've, I've, I, I actually had a contract literally two days ago and there were about 50 bids on that pre-approval client that was trying to get that home. Um, he, so basically the young couple didn't get the home, but they've been looking and made 10 offers in Greenwich, Connecticut and none were accepted because there's bidding yeah, right. Oh, it, so, wasn't, it might have been my house. I don't know. I don't know. Maybe my listing. I don't know. <laughs> no. it's, it's, an, um, it's an insane, in, insane time. I mean, I think there's a, um, I think we can go so many ways with, with this conversation. I mean, we, 
if we're just talking about people buying, you know, residential real estate in, in the market right now, going to Connecticut is, is crazy. Um, but you're, but you're right. I mean, it's, uh, if you're buying, if you're, if you need to buy a house, right, the, the, it's free money, free money right now, you know, even if it's a secondary home, uh, vacation home, because that's a lot of things that have. Somebody still has that apartment in New York City. They have the they have the Hamptons place, and they're looking for a weekend place. Uh, we just closed yesterday on a beautiful house for uh, nine million. Right, we built this modern house right on the rock, and we just sold it. And um, it's a it's a weekend home, right? Yep. People are starting to figure out places to put the money there. So, I guess I guess the question is if you're it's free money on the residential on the investing side. What would you say to, let's say the pro athlete, right? The high net worth individual, the pro athlete, what would you say they're making the biggest myth they have in their mind about investing now? And then also the second part of that, when would you ever tell a pro athlete? Maybe now it's not, maybe now isn't a good time for you. Look at your investment opportunities, right? Mike, um, I sit down with a lot of athletes and we look at their, um, the opportunities that they have. Do you want to invest it in a restaurant franchise, a movie theater franchise, stock market, real estate, or other business ventures? But I think the one difference in real estate is that if you invest in, if you invest in the stock market and you want to make 100% of your money, you need to put up 100% of your money, yeah. right? Earns annually are at best sometimes four to seven percent. Right. If you're looking to invest in a franchise in a restaurant, probably one of the most riskiest businesses to invest in. Like I said, the first three years, eighty-five percent of them fail. There's no better investment vehicle, and I'll say this till the day I retire or the day the day the right. day that I fall dead. Right. Yeah. There's no investment vehicle than real estate. Right, our country was built upon banks giving you a five percent down payment so that you can borrow ninety-five percent of that value, and you can wait for the appreciation values to go up. There's no better investment vehicle, in my opinion, than real estate because you can actually buy a million-dollar home, but only put down a hundred thousand dollars, right? right, and still take in cash flow and a cap rate that's you know, well above 4%, 5%. So I can, I, you know, the, the advice that I give all of our athletes out there that's looking for investment property, sit down with a realtor, sit down with a loan officer or a banker, run the numbers, right? You, you're going to buy a, an asset that you don't have to put, put in 100% of your investment. You just put in 10% of that value or 5% of that value and you can pick up an investment property. Today, if you're borrowing money, and you're buying an investment property, you're probably going to have to put down 25% down because of the risk factors of buying an investment property. But 25% down as compared to putting in 100% is still an amazing opportunity for anyone. How many of the pro athletes are buying the, oh, I like that house, I'll buy that, and not thinking about it as an investment, so they're just buying it because it looks cool, as opposed to the, the, the people who are buying it and saying, that's a great investment for me. I'm going to buy it at a really good number. I mean, are they think, do they, do, when you advise them on that, are you, are you saying, Hey, listen, don't just buy that because you think it looks cool. Make sure you're getting it at a good number as an investment, that sort of thing too. So that's the number one thing that we talk about. You never buy real estate with emotion. You buy it through numbers. And right. when you, you always buy it 
with an investment point of view as well, right? You can still have all the benefits on making it, you know, your dream home or, you know, if you buy a second home and you want to change it to investment property later on, or even if you buy a primary home, there should always be that investment um, mindset, investment factor. Right. So every that I sit down with, I first tell them, what's your exit strategy? When you buy property, what's going to be your exit strategy? Are you buying it and are you decking it out where there's no like-kinded um, comparables in the marketplace where your, your $5 million home compared to the next home that's only $2 million, how valuable is that $5 million home down the line, right? right. Does that you invest all that money? So a lot of times, maybe I would say five, seven, eight years ago, yes, it was always about that trophy property. Today, the athletes are a lot more knowledgeable, right? I think it's about long-term. It's about relationship. And I'm always challenging them to think, okay, if you're buying this property, what's going to be your exit strategy? And can you, let's say you decide to move or you get traded to another team, can you rent it out? And right. does it to buy to buy it for $5 million, What kind of flow? Let's look at the comparables and see if worst case scenario, you weren't living there anymore. Can you actually rent it out? And th those are the that we have every single day or is it better or is it better to to maybe rent the place that you're going to live and then be instead of spending five ten fifteen million dollars on the penthouse or the condo or the, the house of state to rent and then say hey listen because i might get traded i need to have a get out clause so i don't have to pay any cancellation fees on my forty thousand dollar fifty thousand dollar a month rental um, and i'm going to instead take that money and listen to ace listen to a real estate agent like mike and i'm going to buy a uh a commercial building, I'm going to rezone. I'm going to buy a multifamily. I'm going to buy an apartment building. Um, do you find that the athletes who are more seasoned will come in with that mindset? Or are you finding that a lot of the athletes have, they're, they're, that's not something that's being taught to them. They're not, they don't have a real estate investor education at all like that. So, so number one, they don't have a real estate um, sort of professional guiding them, number one. And that's the reason NBA created this program called the NBA Crossover Program, which I was a part of, where for NBA players, if they were interested in, let's say, tech, they would have the opportunity to intern at Google for a week or sit down with professionals, right? If they were interested in real estate, then they would have the opportunity to sit down with a company like Douglas Elliman, where they would come in for a week, meet with Howard Dottie, meet with myself on the financing side. So there's a lot of different programs out there now that's educating these athletes on more awareness and education and i think a lot of folks don't have that training and it's up to professionals like yourself mike and like myself to really you know think about the long-term sort of um long-term mindset on buying real estate and how that can actually help each athlete right because i think with athletes they have a unique opportunity they're constantly traveling all around the country yep. they have to market and tap into different markets. So I, I like to tell a lot of the athletes that I work with, when you're out in these different marketplaces, you have a unique opportunity to understand the culture, understand the city, really talk to staff, talk to the coaches, talk to your friends and family about what's going on in that city that you're going and playing that game in, right? Because you have the biggest opportunity where you're probably one you're probably part of like the 1% that's traveling all over the country at all times. Definitely. 
literally have the pulse on the market if you see that opportunity and leverage um, relationships. And that's why every single um, NBA player that I work with, I tell them all the time, create a network. Your network will be your net worth, yeah. right? So, uh, with different cities, link up with an agent like, right? When they're in Connecticut or when they're in New York, call Mike. Because when Mike has an amazing deal, he's going to let you know. And that's, that's actually something that a lot more athletes are taking advantage of. And you see folks like Kevin Durant, um, you know, Kobe Bryant, LeBron James, you know, they're teaching these younger players how to invest. You know, Joe Harris, one of my really good, good buddies, um, you know, here at, uh, with the Nets, you know, he's investing in two properties and he's investing in more. And it's just to really um, build your asset and continue to, to, to ensure that the revenue and, and the income that you're making while you're an athlete continues for yeah. the, um, you know, after you retire. It's, listen, it's the same thing as any, any other, I mean, people, I mean, they're professional athletes, they're millionaires. Some of them are uber, uber millionaires. Um, and it's amazing, you know, it, it, to me, it would seem the same way. Like, listen, if I have a $500,000 a year contract, you know, I'm just made it on, um, or even, you know, I'm playing semi ball or European ball, or, Hey, I'm, I'm the, the last person on the, on the list, but, um, I'm making a million dollars a year. This is still the growth pattern for you with your money. You, you would be smart to come sit down with someone like yourself to say, look, uh, I decided you know, first of all, I want to understand about what I'm supposed to do with my money. And then obviously it's going to go, well, you're going to have really a couple of different options. You can go to go to the investment and in, in real estate route. You can go to the investment in the stock market route. You can go to best, you know, and I'm so bullish just like you on real estate. I mean, I had a parent who was a stock market person forever. I absolutely don't play that. I put all my money back into my real estates and I, and I understand the diversification of a real estate portfolio from big commercial buildings to the residential to the multifamilies and how, you know, read rich dad, poor dad. I mean, like yeah. an amazing book, you know, and, and it's almost like they have to build up the same way. You know, if I make a million dollars a year selling real estate, if they make a million dollars a year, you know, playing professional basketball, they still have to build up a real estate portfolio the same way. And I think it's amazing oh. that you created that, that, um, the courses and everything that you have to teach them because people don't, people don't realize that, that just because they have all this money doesn't mean they have this education. They don't, they don't have that. So I like to call it the 50, 30, 20 rule, right? So 50% of your income goes towards living expenses on a monthly basis. Um, 20% goes towards savings for a rainy day and 30% should always be invested. And if you live within those means, you're going to have a pretty good um, appreciation value with your revenue coming in. Right? So some people, they live 75% living expenses and no savings and 25% is just for mis miscellaneous. But if you can stick within a, a true principle of 50% expenses, 20% savings, and then 30% for investments, you have a pretty good formula there. So, I mean, you're the best at what you do, man. Um, you got into what you're, 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 this position in your career, you've grown so fast. You, you have so much more on the horizon. You have, you're an entrepreneur, you have the businesses, the restaurants, um, working with the NBA players and the athletes and high net worth individuals. And, um, so just right before we kind of, we, we go and I appreciate all your time. Of course, um, 
you know, part of what I love about doing this kind of thing is that I can kind of talk about the stuff that I want to talk about. And when I, sure. especially when I'm on with other professionals and peers in the industry and other locations, um, there's a lot of elephants in the room and the culture that we're dealing with. And one of the biggest questions that I get asked from people is what's going to happen next in real estate, right? So they're asking me, so what do you think if I build this up? What do you think in two years is going to happen? What's going to happen? And I try to tell people, listen, man, if I had a crystal ball, if I could, I'd be going and playing the lotto somewhere all the time and, and winning that. Nobody really knows. Sure. Um, and real estate is so hyper-localized right? Especially the whatever class of real estate you're buying. When you're talking about your position where you're advising people, there's with COVID, with the presidential election, where, I mean, no, it's not a political thing, but where do you see it going and one, if it's one way or if we get somebody else in there and, and where do you see and how do you see this whole thing going? You know, our government, especially in New York City, a lot of our tax laws, um, a lot of our salt deductions, yep. uh, right? Pieta Terra tax, mansion tax. There's a lot of things within um, the regulators um, that will have to be reformed. Right. And hopefully people will want to come back and will make New York City the way New York was before, right? So I think, you know, that's a loaded question, Mike. I think there needs to be some sort of um, resurgence in regards to. Um, policies being reformed to make sure that it is attractive for the affluent um, clientele to come and and want to purchase if you're an international buyer right. or right. a local um, entrepreneur or businessman finance that it makes sense for you to have a tax shelter again right in owning a home in New York, Connecticut, New Jersey, Westchester, wherever that it wherever that may be. But if you're asking me what I what I think about the real estate market, I don't have a crystal ball. Yeah. Tell you the commercial landscape will definitely change. I yep. think we're ready with retail, with commerce, um, even office space. Yeah. Um, you're a lot of consolidation. You know, if you're talking about residential, again, I think if you're buying for investment, a cash flow opportunity property will be key um, for the next, I would say, four to five years. Appreciation values, we probably will not see as much. I think the prices will level off. We'll see small appreciation values here and there. But I think um, right now the play is to really purchase properties that you think you'll have a good cap rate in, yeah. you know, that will give generate um, cash flow. Yeah. Polit political affiliation aside, let's say COVID continues to, to go on for a little bit. Um, uh, Trump or Biden are in office. Do you see one? I mean, am I, am I, my mind is the interest rates probably stay low regardless of either one and probably will stay low for a while. I'm going to believe, right? Wouldn't you think so? You know, you can never really, um, you can never really predict what's going to happen, but I can tell you if I look out to the next 12 months, yep. uh, rates will be low, yep. right? Uh, economy still needs to um, recover. Uh, with the pandemic, there's been a lot, a lot of losses, um, not only um, here in New York, but all over the country. And um, we're going to be, um, you know, we're going to be in a rebuilding stage. And one of the biggest stimuluses is um, interest rates to stimulate the economy, right. stimulate 
afraid, you know, for businesses to borrow. So we're going to see rates pretty low for the next, I would say, 12 to 18 months. Right. But it's so key for our listeners and our audience to really take advantage yeah. of the environment that we're in. You know, I think one of the biggest coffee talks this year, besides the pandemic, has been how low the interest rates have been, which is probably in our lifetime, we're never going to see this type of interest rate environment ever again below 3% for a 30 year fix. I mean, it was, it was the, it was the topic before the pandemic. That was the was big thing before the pandemic, Mike. And you know, we're going to 2021 now with possibly a second wave. And, and the beauty of it is, is that technology has changed yep. the way that business in real estate as well. So if you're in real estate or if you're a buyer or a seller, you know, um, going into Street Easy, going to the multiple listing services, um, you know, Fizbo's for sale by owner. You know, um, I would say that's changing a lot. If you're yeah. thinking about selling your home and you're not using a realtor and you're not use, utilizing the network and the bandwidth and the market marketing tools that they have, mm-hmm. you're not doing a favor, right? So there's a lot of things that I think education will be key right. going into one, yeah. right? Um, videos to educate the the uh, the masses yep. on why um, buying real estate and working with a realtor is so key. I predict, and, and what do I know? Uh, I can't even have a successful restaurant. I mean, what do I know? So I don't know. No. Uh, I, <laughs> uh, um, my yeah. prediction is, uh, I think that two things. One, I think that the the COVID kind of really exposed once again how how um, how all over the place the stock market can be. And I think people are like, I don't know how many times I'm going to keep playing that game. Um, you can play it. Um, but I think that what has happened is food, water, shelter, and sh- has always been the three things in my, like people have always had food, water, and shelter. And we are, as long as this pandemic will be here and the interest rates will stay low, shelter has the biggest thing. Home has become the biggest thing. So I think that for the next year, you're going to see a real estate boom continue regardless of the president and some of the policies. I think the policies might hurt some of the states that are incorporating some of these policies, but then where that hurts somebody, it might help somebody. You know, shelter, food, you know, these are the necessities of, of, of human life, right? Of evolution. And I think COVID has really, if not any, me made me realize that my home is very important and that, my apartment in the city, 800 square feet, if I were to experience a lockdown again, is not big enough. And um, <laughs> pre-COVID to travel and, and whatnot, my apartment was just a place for me to lay my head, right? Just to yeah. see. Yeah. But I think COVID, it's made us realize that, you know, we want that space. We want to be able to enjoy gatherings and have people over. And yeah. that trend is going to continue. Um, it's not going to be something that's just, you know, a lot of people are like, Ace, you know what, is that something that's just going to be, you know, part of the pandemic? And when the p- pandemic's over, everything's going to go back to normal. I don't think yeah, so. Not for a while. This is the new way of folks um, living. But again, just like what you mentioned, right? They're still going to have their apartments in the city, but they may have a second home in the suburbs, right? And, and that's really the trend that we're leading towards. And I think if you're not in the market, and you're not taking advantage of the two factors, which is amazing price points and amazing low rates. You're gonna, you're, you know, you're, you're gonna regret this time period. You're gonna look back and you say, "Wow, I had a discount 
in so many different areas during this time, right? Well, ladies so. and gentlemen out there, if you're listening, and I know you will be, uh, I know I'm going to be taking advantage of talking to Ace because I'm going to be looking at some property in New York City um, and taking advantage of this amazing time that we're in. And if you're doing anything where you uh, lending, you need questions, anything, if you're in the sports world, NBA, basketball, anything, uh, Ace, where can people reach out and, and find you? Yeah, they can email me at ace.w at citizensbank.com or you know, get in contact with yourself, Mike, and you'll forward them my way. So. Absolutely, absolutely. And they can follow you on social media, right? Because you have Instagram? Of course, of course. Of course. What's the, the tag on that? The handle's pretty long. Um, hopefully, we'll... we'll, we'll I'll, I'll inscribe everything because well, I, I butchered it before. No worries. <laughs> Exactly. It's Ace Watana Supar, but no one's going to remember that. So, it's, but, it's, Listen, man, I will post everything in there. And I, I thank you so much. I know I kept you on really, really long. And you gave me all this time. And we're recording this on a Friday night. So I cannot thank you enough. And I wish course, you all the best and success. And I know we'll be talking soon. And anybody out there listening, you need to reach out to this man. Talk to him. Take his advice. Work with him. He's the best in the business. So, Ace, thank you again so much. Thanks, Mike. Appreciate it. Uh, 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 uh.